0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on October the 20th of 2012. (sighs) Well, I was informed earlier that the Spookmaster General will not be uh, replacing my esteemed uh, co-host, Chris, for, for this episode. So that's a relief. I'm glad that in the desert that is... October I will be I am, I'm coming to an oasis free of weird puns and any other such shenanigans that I do not enjoy. It's, it's very
1: quiet in here what's going on? <laughs> Chris. Chris that, there is no Chris. But what? Uh, you are being graced. By the coolest guest you will ever oh, have. No. It is I, Code, <laughs> here to, to, to take part in your manga podcast.
0: <laughs> well, it's better than the Spookmaster General, I'll give it that. Uh,
1: of course it is. For it is yeah, I code. Uh... The coolest character yeah. in all of manga. Yes. Well,
0: uh, code. Mm-hmm. Uh, do Do you like have some like strong opinions about like manga and 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 stuff?
1: Are you gonna They be to... are all inferior. Good. To Boruto, as oh. it is the only manga that has code in it.
0: I can't fault your logic.
1: Um, Although, I do appreciate we never learn. As there are quite a lot of beautiful women in that. And I believe they're all thinking about me. Oh. Because I'm very cool. Okay. Did they talk to you? Did they say anything to you about me?
0: They are fictional characters, so no.
1: Um... So you haven't heard anything. Then again, I thought
0: that about you, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, come uh, on. Keep keeping fabe Nick. <laughs> I have
0: not heard anything from them, uh, although uh, the word on the street is that literally every one of them has the hots for, for you know, the guy in their own series. So I don't Which know. Which could be code.
1: Imagine now if code took over, we never learn uh, how many problems I could solve. How many problems that I could solve by slashing and leaving strap-based claw marks all around that I could teleport to instantaneously. Okay. Does that help with like studying? Um, I could get books really quickly. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know
0: what? You know, you might have a chance. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Code yeah. always has a chance with the ladies. God, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that we don't talk about that element of Code's character
1: enough. Just like how hopelessly, how I'm an admirable horn dog.
0: <laughs> yeah. No.
1: Um, well, you know what, Code,
0: I, 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 I do want to do something with with you today. You know, you, you're here. You, you, you've left the world of Boruto briefly behind but you know what uh this is a great chance for us to get some you know uh behind the scenes insights going on you know yes. like uh like those actor commentary things that uh that you see on like you know special releases and stuff so you know what? let's get
1: let's get going right into it cuz there's a chapter of Boruto this week
0: Indeed. and you were in
1: it I was lot. yeah and I do appreciate opportunities to talk more about myself
0: I kind of figured that was the case all right yeah let's 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 talk about Boruto. code it's chapter number 63 ask no
1: questions it's in reference to me the chapter title is it because you don't need to ask i'm a man of mystery and many accessories and i feel as though asking questions removes that veneer.
0: Wouldn't answering the questions be the thing that does that? Like, if people are asking you questions, then that is an indicator that you are a man of mystery, because they have questions. It would be the act of answering them that would remove the mystery.
1: I want to inform you now that there is a strap on the back of your (laughs) chair that I can instantaneously teleport to any moment and murder you. Should you continue to insult Code's intelligence? You want to know those stupid kids in the promised Neverland? Yeah. I was smarter than all of them combined. M, I mean, smarter than all of them combined. They're dumb I mean, babies. You could,
0: you could have probably gotten out of that house a lot faster than them. What with your ability to teleport between slash marks. So you may have a point there.
1: I could solve every manga with my power. Okay. Okay. I-Shield 21, just leave a slash mark near the side of the field, and I could just teleport touchdowns to it all day long. Not sure if that was the point of I-Shield 21, but okay. It's what I took away from it. Said it would be a lot cooler. Score <laughs> said it would be a lot cooler <laughs> if he had a strap on his head that he could teleport to at instantaneous speed.
0: Yeah, you know, the story of, of it said a need to grow up was score more touchdowns. And, mm-hmm. uh,
1: <laughs> they would have never had trouble with the Nagas. Hey, look, it's Ada. Who? Yeah. It, wait, is she here? Hold on. She's in the manga,
0: you
1: know. No, you got to give me a moment before she shows up. I gotta straighten up my my ascot. She asks about it a lot. She talks about. it. She thinks it's very cool that I have that. Now, yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that you, I've straightened up. Now I'm. Uh, that you have that ascot. I'm now at peak coolness. Now. <laughs>
0: um. Okay, so last time, the great, very intelligent, and super powerful, and cool code had uh, Boruto and Kawaki at his mercy. And uh, we see that he's letting Ada listen in on uh, what's going on there. Uh, She provides occasional comments on how hot Kawaki is. And then eventually Boruto. I don't think she says anything about you, but I'm sure she'll get there.
1: She's thinking it. Oftentimes, this is a trait with women you'll one day hopefully understand. Mm -hmm. When they talk about one person being hot, what they're actually thinking about is someone else who's much, much hotter.
0: I cannot
1: prove... Women are liars and deceitful (laughs) whores.
0: (laughs) Which is why you love and respect (laughs) so much.
1: Which is why they all dick me. All right, oh, so.
0: <laughs> Code brings up, wait a minute. How did Boruto find Kawaki if he erased his own chakra? And Ada goes, uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyway. It's the one loophole no one's ever been able to figure out in Boruto, except for just Boruto himself. Pretty much. Or Kawaki, rather.
0: So, uh, Kawaki says, but out, Boruto. <laughs> Wait, she doesn't say. He doesn't say that yet. Sorry, uh, but uh, they they argue because they care about each other, but they butt heads a lot. And then Kawaki says, "Hey, wait a minute, Code, you were gonna take me somewhere, right? So
1: just ignore this
0: guy and let's just go there."
1: See, this is what I appreciate with Kawaki. I gave a suggestion for a cool place we should definitely all visit together, and he's immediately like, "Yeah, we should go there," and Boruto us to be a big fucking. Sarapus, who ruins everything uh and he does try and do
0: that but Kawaki is on the ball he says put out Boruto uh Boruto says well you shouldn't be so reckless because with me here you know my dad and the others can come here and beat up Code and Code says no because if they come here then the Hokage could die and I won't let that happen even if I die and then, here's what I love about you, Code. Uh-huh. During the midst of this conversation, we get a very long sequence where you pull up your hood.
1: I don't have the hood right now, but that's yeah. what I was thinking about doing. Now, let me there's walk like you through a the thought. Pro-
0: there's the like thought. half page dedicated to you lifting up your hood. So it was very important, I'm sure.
1: It's an important moment, not just in character development, um, but in the themes of Boruto as a whole. Which is to say the question being asked is man versus themselves. Most specifically, every other man versus me and how they fail to even stand in the same ring. Uh, I put on that hood and immediately everyone is just aware of how deep I am. You know, suddenly they're they're pulled back. The, the entire situation changes. There was conflict, and now suddenly there's reverence. I'm a very because respectable you're... person. Okay. I garner yeah. and earn respect everything I do.
0: I feel like you're referencing something, but I'm not sure what it is.
1: I'm referencing code.
0: Okay. Gotcha.
1: Sometimes at night, I like to write in my journal, and at the end of it, I just like to sign it code because one day it's going to be the most important writing in the world.
0: I mean, a lot of people who use diaries and journals sign their name.
1: No, I think I'm the only one.
0: Okay. Good to know.
1: I better be the only one.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's a code trademark right? <laughs> Hashtag code. No one ever says dear diary and signs it with their name. Nope. Okay. Uh, I believe that the actual point of this sequence where Code pulls up his hood is so that he can stick a strap on the inside of his hood, very clever design, uh, to his ear so he doesn't have to, you know, constantly be cell phoning it like he has been up to this point, which does make the question of why I didn't do this before. I'm sure that he uh, Code had his reasons. was probably to show off his sweet do so uh, to everyone.
1: uniquely, uh, when I made the hood, I didn't actually think about that. I just thought, this hood could use some more cool accessories. So I <laughs> hot glued a couple straps around it and I thought everyone will be doing this one day.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, code brings up the point of, well, Kawaki, if you think the you're going to protect the Hokage, well, what, what, can, what are you even capable of? Why do you even think that? And Kawaki says, well, nothing actually, but, you know what? I bet that you're working with someone who would talk to me about this and would hear me out. And Code's like, God damn it. No, Ada's it mine and all mine. But I don't believe it...
1: I said that. I said something much cooler. And here it comes. Yeah. No, you gotta do it slowly. With a complete disinterest hey. to the world. And here it comes. Hey. Okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> some 41 song is playing in the background. You can't hear. It. No one else can hear it, but you can because it's the soundtrack of your life. Okay. Which some forty one song? And all of them. So, so, <laughs> so, so it's something. A too, church of noise. All
0: all,
1: <laughs> all of them things. at once, playing at the same time, at different <laughs> at different starts and finishes. Uh. So, Kowaki says,
0: at length, he 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 goes over what Code told him in the last chapter, which was, I'm not going to kill you yet because someone that I'm working with doesn't want you to die. And Kowaki says, yeah, see, if not for that, you would have killed me, but that means that if you haven't killed me, that the person you're working with has enough influence over you that you'll obey them. Yes, that is exactly why he said he wasn't going to kill you and was
1: capturing you instead. I was very eloquent describing says, things last time. Yeah, and then Code says, you're pretty sharp to Kawaki. shows that they work on the same level. They have a deep respect for each other. I, analytical... I, I do respect Kawaki because he also has weird shit drawn on his face and a bad haircut. And I feel as though the two of us together can relate in that way. Um, We both see the world in a very distinct way. We have very few blind spots. Now, I have a very particularly big one because the strap actually goes down into my vision. So there is a blind spot here. um, But there's also a little bit of a hole in it as well. So I can kind of see through that. I feel like that's uh, not actually very helpful. But hey, if it works for you. It works for you, I guess. Style over substance is a way of life. Okay. <laughs> and who so, and who knows better than st- style than I? Code. Nobody. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely no one. All right. Code compliments Kawaki for realizing what he told him a chapter ago. <laughs> You're very smart. Uh, and then says, but are you sure? And Kawaki says, well, the people who want things from me have never been reasonable, and I'm used to it. Bam! There's a strap on the ground next to him. I guess that's really important. Dun, dun, dun. Code says, well, I was going to drag you there, but hey, if you come along willingly, that's even better, so let's go. But Borja says, Oh, well, hold on! Don't talk about why well, I'm not,
1: like, I'm not here. And Kawaki says... Leave me alone, Boruto. I forgot, actually, that he was there. This was actually a real scene. Uh, I forgot that Boruto was in the room, so when he spoke up, I thought an extra had wandered onto the set.
0: I want to go over the dialogue in this free flash here. Absolutely. Boruto says, quit talking over me like I'm not here. Kawaki says, mind your own business, Boruto. Don't mess things up. And Kawaki says, well, you're the one doing that, Kawaki. Don't you get it? Dad would never want something like this. And Kawaki says, You're the one who doesn't understand. I'm doing this for Lord Seventh. It doesn't matter what he thinks. And Boruta says, Punch! Uh, as in, he punches Kawaki mm. and knocks him to the ground because he's protecting his buddy. And then code says, "Whoa!" Wow. <laughs> Kawaki says, What was that for? And Boruta says, Fine! Do whatever you want! I get it! how much you want to protect my dad. However, at the same time, it's my right to protect you. Right, bro? And Kawaki says, what? And Ada says, oh my, seriously? That's so hot. Oh, Boruto, eek.
1: <laughs> Nothing revolting about that scene. <laughs> <laughs>
0: speaks out to Boruto because he is Otsutsuki Momoshiki's vessel and notes that although they have never met before, I worship Otsutsuki and have inherited their grand will. And Boruto says, you've inherited who's what? <laughs> because he doesn't have ace listening abilities like Kawaki does.
1: That's a later stage of Otsutsufification is you get better hearing and the words start making more sense to you. <laughs> I understand to unsullied ears, they probably sound pretty stupid. And that really just shows how dumb you are. Okay. I,
0: it's nice n- Nice to know that then.
1: Code clarifies
0: that because Boruto is a vessel of Otsutsuki Momoshiki, I revere you. Because Otsutsuki are my faith. They're equivalent to God's. That's why it pains me. To have to feed you to ten tails in order to cultivate the divine tree. It's too cruel a task for a devout follower like me. And Barda says, huh, Oh, yeah? Not to point out the obvious, but no thanks. So why don't you call it a day and go home? <laughs>
1: <laughs> call it a day. Go home. <laughs> I was stunned into the silence for a couple minutes after that. It was a harsh line. Uh, Boruto, despite his lack of accessories, has quite a way with words. <laughs> uh, Code decides that this is I, I, do eventually, I do eventually come up with a witty retort, though. Because okay. he says all that. He says, why don't you call it a day and go home? And I say, no way. No way. <laughs> now, they cut out me saying Jose afterwards, because there's no character named Jose, so it didn't make sense. But uh, they kept the integral part in. Ko decides to test himself against Boruto.
0: And so they start fighting. And Boruto immediately starts using karma because his eyes go all black liney. And Kawaki's is like, I'm going to sit here because you punched me really hard. Uh Uh, And uh, so they're going to throw down. Meanwhile, Naruto's <laughs> trying to find his kid because the sensory network ninjas <laughs> is, is fucking worthless. This
1: is the best moment in this chapter that doesn't involve me.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, Eno's like, "Yeah, we can't find him. We've, we've even even started looking outside the village. And if he's erasing his chakra, I don't think we're ever going to find him like this." And Naruto's like, "Oh, and no, it's just like Boruto said." And then he goes, "Boruto." And so they post outside where Nishi the sensor ninja from last time. who was terrible at his job. but Naruto sticks his head out the window, and just goes, "Hey, Nishi,
1: Where's Boruto? Hold on, I want to correct something. Bo- Naruto goes out the window where Nishi the sensor ninja is standing on the house going, "Hey, Kawaki, where are you? <laughs> like You're... he's like he's a fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> here, 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 Kowaki shaking his favorite food bowl. <laughs>
0: and then Naruto says, Hey, I need Boruto. Go find him. Yes, sir.
1: Oh. Uh... <laughs> this dude is the funniest fucking character. I guarantee it's not intentional. But he is the funniest fucking character in all of manga. Because there is nothing funnier than him being like, uh, oh yeah, I'll I'll get Naruto or Boruto for you. And then pause for a moment. So, I know you thought it was an issue I lost one of your kids. Is that mean you're not going to be as angry when I tell you I lost the second one? Oh my god, where is Sebawari? No, no, the other one. <laughs> no, the one you care about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Naruto is shocked so shocked by this that his head becomes the size of his rib cage in, in for one panel. Um, and then we cut to the fight between Boruto and the coolest strongest best character Code yes, because yes. Boruto sucks against him he tries to use his Rasengan it doesn't work, Code just drops into his straps and then you know comes out other claw marks and attacks from different angles Oh, Boruto's got a, sh- a shuriken shadow clone trick. Oh, Thunderbolt. Hey, Code just went to the claw marks and dodged it. And then Code leans against a tree. All oh, cool. Because he's so much better than Boruto, he can afford to look cool in the middle of the fight.
1: Yeah. With my cloak and my arm warmers and my ascot, it is fun fighting a ninja. And then the mark over his eye turns
0: white Oh yes. no, you
1: can't I've is... already rather fair skinned so it's tough to tell but I did I did draw this in what not draw I mean it's a natural part of my body I did it is white for accuracy but the painted nails aren't I couldn't remember if his nails were painted or not so my nails are painted or not so that's a different thing
0: but it captures the essence I understand
1: I imagine code in all of his moments would definitely think yeah I gotta paint my nails too <laughs> come on they're gonna be naked
0: Code says to Boruto that he's an amateur when it comes to karma, and all his mark turns white, making it much more difficult to see the indication of a powered-up form. Very clever. So, uh, straps on the ground and Boruto. That's the first. That's the lead
1: single for my album.
0: Straps on the ground. Straps
1: on the ground, for my band Code and no one else. (laughs) Because <laughs> no so, one else can can stand toe to toe with me on a musical level.
0: Code does not teleport between claw marks this time. He just casually approaches Boruto, who tries to punch him and just gets elbows in the face.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm much stronger than everybody. I don't know. <laughs> Everyone sucks but me.
0: Boruto tries to throw more shuriken and he gets drop kicked in the fucking gut. <laughs> Um, and gets sent fl- flying along the ground, and then he tries to get up, but he can't, I guess. And then Code explains what karma is.
1: You see. <laughs> I like hearing myself talk, so sometimes I just find reasons to do it, and this seemed like a good reason. I probably shouldn't explain this, because I'm trying to kill them, but it felt useful in that moment to just kind of hear my own voice. For that is the sweetest sound of them all.
0: Yep. No argument. <laughs> Code says that karma is not just increased power and speed and overall physical ability. That alone wouldn't result in such an exponential jump in battle strength. The real reason lies elsewhere with karma's true essence, which is that the Otsutsuki's combat experience, accumulated over millennia, gets overlaid upon your own mind and body, and that's why you get stronger. <laughs> I'm going to extend my leg really far behind me in order to kick, because that's what a seasoned warrior
1: would. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I want to ask you a question. You've, you've of course, played uh, Super Smash Brothers, correct? Yes. What's the strongest attack in the game? It's it's Ganondorf. It's when Ganondorf <laughs> kicks straight up in the air and holds it up there for a
0: minute and a half before swinging it straight down. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, Code kicks Porto along the ground and demands that Porto show him more. Show me Otosuki Momoshiki's power, or I'm going to use the coolest wrestling move ever—the curb stomp. Except without getting a running start.
1: <laughs> except you're already on the ground, so I just kick your okay. face into the ground, which I guess everybody does.
0: So you know it won't even have a bump involved. <laughs> <laughs> he goes boruto because like he could do something to try and help him but he'll just sit here instead uh but when he stomps oh boruto's not there instead he's over there and he's starting to get up and he's glowing and oh, his eyes have gone all white and quote is like no we're talking
1: now what i don't understand is how boruto moved that quickly without transporting himself between two claw marks (laughs) that he left i i don't know maybe maybe uh feels like cheating Maybe he has a claw mark inside himself. That's bullshit. Everything that's cool about you should be on the outside. See this? This is what's cool about me. I make sure everyone sees it. If I could, I'd get a neck tattoo of my fucking logo. That way everybody knows how Brilliant. cool I am.
0: Really? On your neck? Like yeah. what? What? Are you sure? Right like, on my
1: if... neck, so it's visible in everything I wear. And everyone will like... talk about how cool it is.
0: Okay, but the back of your neck, right?
1: No, right on the side. Right right as, right a, right as, as fucking annoyingly obvious as, as possible. Because that's what cool people and smart people do. They make good decisions like that with their body. Code erodes.
0: Okay, so yes. <laughs> that's it for Boruto this week. I'm glad that we had Code on to share his thoughts on that chapter. Do you feel like you better understood
1: safe. this chapter because of Code's insight? I definitely understood uh, your uh, motivation better. I yeah. want to go over a couple points. So, okay. one, I was the best character in the chapter. Two, the second best character is Nishi because he doesn't know what he's doing and he constantly loses children. <laughs> Three, all women are liars and harlots. They can't be trusted. <laughs> <Okay>. They're whores.
0: <laughs> I mean, up until that point, I was going to say, like, you know what? I, I don't have any disagreements to raise with you. <laughs> Let me ask you a question while we're on the subject of your thoughts on women.
1: Absolutely.
0: You seem to have a thing for Ada. Mm-hmm.
1: She like, has a thing if, for me.
0: Okay. What would you say is the one aspect of her that draws you to her?
1: Uh, the children style stars, shape ho- moons, and uh, planets that are adorning her outfit. Oh,
0: they're really interesting because I thought it was going to be the overwhelming uh, power she has over all people to be in love with her at all times. But I mean, if if you think it's the hair,
1: cool. Well, it's on her skirt too. She has them on her skirt, so I guess her boobs too. Those are nice. All right. So this chapter was stupid. (laughs) Um, I
0: mean, the the reason I read so much of the dialogue was because. Kishimoto has been writing manga professionally for over a quarter of a century, and this is the shit that I get out of this.
1: He is a genius in his time. You don't understand. Uh, two characters start punching each other over a big fight, and then Code comes in and says, "Whoa," with no emotion, because this can't possibly surprise him. Me, he he's seen so much, so it has to be derogatory, and he's just shitting on it, and then. Boruto basically says alright, you could do crazy stuff if you want but I'm going to do crazy stuff to protect you and Ada interrupts to say, oh my, seriously? That's so hot. Oh, Boruto, eek. Um, which I don't think any human being has ever said before in their life. <laughs> like, even if you take no, out not the that, fact that Not
0: that exact pattern of words, no.
1: No, but I don't think, I don't know if if, um, if I don't know how old Ada is supposed to be. Uh, It's the moment of, oh my, seriously? That's so hot. uh, Reeks of an old man writing the dialogue of uh, what is basically a child to him. And not understanding how characters talk.
0: True. True enough. Well, I think that that's going to do it for this chapter of Boruto. It's, um...
1: Yeah. The only thing that I have to say is that fucking dialogue. It's great. Everything everything we say is magic. So,
0: you know what? We're talk- we've are we been talking about Otsutsuki vessels for a while. Here's a question. Is
1: Shigaraki an Otsutsuki vessel? Mm, perhaps. Is there something dumb and absurdly complicated about to enter his life?
0: I mean, it's definitely complicated. I can <laughs> tell you that
1: much. Then he might be. All right. It One of the defining traits of uh, whether or not you're an Otsutsuki is if you have weird, complicated vocabulary that's around you, like saying Otsutsufication instead of just like a transformation or some other word that already exists.
0: I see. Uh-huh. Well, I think we need to pick up the pace from here because we spent like 30 minutes on that chapter.
1: Four so. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> Can I hang around for the rest of the, t- the chapters?
0: Please don't. <laughs> I'm sure I mean I'm sure you've got better things to do, Code.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> oh wait, hold on. Uh there's a book nearby. Oh no. Uh what do you, you call a scary dream about a horse? Is it a nightmare? A nightmare. I don't yeah. get I don't get it mare is a
0: female horse
1: what's a horse
0: <laughs> spooky he doesn't know what a horse <laughs> is <Ooh. laughs> all right so Chapter number 330 of My Hero Academia, me and myself. Uh, one of the stealth fighter pilots that Star and Stripe is flying around with warns her that Shigaraki is out there to meet her, and so they should expect an EMP attack from one of his abelian quirks. Uh, and uh, Star, and Sma- Star and Stripe says that their plan is to smash. Uh, so, like... Okay, I hope one of us survives. So they start to fly in and attack Shigaraki. And Shigaraki starts talking out loud to himself, saying, It's a strange state I find myself in. I can truthfully declare that I am Tomura Shigaraki. But at the same time, there is no doubt that I am also me. So, speaking with All for One's voice, or... Is it the voice of an as-yet-unrealized being that is neither All-For-One nor Shigaraki, yet also both? Mm. Anyway, he starts combining quirks together to launch um, a Dragon Ball Z giant energy wave uh, and scatters the planes and presumably uh, blows away a few of them, judging by some of the silhouettes within the uh, the blast. Uh, but Star and Stripe escapes it unscathed and then says, do you already know what my deal is? Then I won't, then it won't help you fight back. I reign supreme, boy. And she flexes her hands and says, air, as of now, the air does not exist 100 meters ahead of me. And her quirk is called new order. Uh, and there is a flash in the shape of a star as she teleports to Directly in front of Shigaraki slash not Shigaraki. And we get the explanation of her quirk, which is after touching a target, she can call out the target's name and assign a new
1: rule to it. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's like you, the moment you read that power, you're like, hmm, this is far more complicated of a power than anything else in this series thus far. And absurdly powerful. Too. Yes, but w- weirdly not powerful at the same time, because the the ongoing situation here is, oh no, can Shigaraki get this character's quirk? Because if he touches somebody, he can call out any 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 rule on them you want, and then you stop. And you're like. If he touches them, he can just kill them anyway. He can also what just kill them scary? through the air. What are you talk? <laughs> what are you talking about? How does this actually really help him?
0: Uh, it turns out it's for an even more complicated plan than just taking her quirk. <laughs> so, uh, Star and Stripe then has all of her planes shoot Shigaraki in the freaking chest with laser guns, uh, and one of the pilot's names is
1: Wedge. I bet the other one's Biggs. And then there's a Porkins and then uh, I don't know any of the other space pilots and I only know Porkins because he was the fat pilot, which always felt rude.
0: Red Leader.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It goes Porkins. Uh, I always, you know, with all the nostalgia the new Star Wars movies did, I really wanted Porkins Jr. to be a member of the the new Resistance and it's (laughs) like, like I don't know who you would get for it but it has to be like just the most squat compact muscle house possible it's like Porkins Junior reporting for duty <laughs> uh
0: however despite having lasers shot at his chest Natshigaraki just um reflects it and in, in like a prism pattern so it strikes out everywhere uh but star r- responds by using her Dominion thing to um make the laser be holdable so she can
1: catch it I guess it doesn't Hurt after it's holdable, really. Yeah, still it's like point. concentrated light. It should still, like, yeah. presumably at least burn. But she's just like, ha ha. Very, uh, very helpful. Also, lady, I, guess I guess you can you can catch something going that sort of speed and still call out its name fast enough to assign a new rule to it before it would just rip your stomach open. Like if a bullet was coming at you, you say bullet. <laughs> you're made of marshmallows and then it hits you and you're like ha no
0: you better talk really quickly yeah Yeah. uh shigaraki starts using his other quirk things to fly around through the air but star and stripes like okay cool and punches him in the freaking head as he flies by and says ah you've played right into my hands you see i can only set new rules for up to two targets at once and one of the two is always myself because i can't conjure up super strength on all might's level and let me give you my whole deal with All Might, by the way. <laughs> uh, one time, while I was a kid, uh, All Might was a student studying abroad, and he saved me and my family, and I thought that was really cool, and I thought that his hair tufts were really cool, but I decided, why have two, two hair tufts when I can have ten, eight Eight, rather. Because I'm American, and more equals better. Yes. That sums it up. Uh, and uh, she punches Shikaraki. Into one of the planes, holds him there and says, uh, I've touched you and said your name now. So if Tamura Shigaraki moves at all, his heart will stop. And Shigaraki just goes, she fell for it. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> so within the confines of Shigaraki's mind, where his and all for one's essences are kind of grappling and melding with each other at the same time. He says, there were signs from the moment I awakened. The boundary was always hazy. As originally planned, you were meant to become me entirely after two months of recuperation. But what a firecracker you are, Tamora. Your sheer hatred and drive for destruction. The doctor and I had our expectations, but you rose up to blow them away. Percentage wise, I'd say 97, perhaps 98. We will become one soon enough no longer all for one nor to shigaraki we now meld into a new person all together to which shigaraki goes no and star goes wait why isn't my quirk fucking working uh and uh a thing happens shigaraki goes Gah! we get a flashback to his childhood home that says it began in that house with a grain of, grain of hate and that grew and built upon itself and then there's a big old flash in the air but so okay so <laughs> basically what happened is All for One and Shigaraki in combining together are in this moment becoming a third entity, which is both and yet neither. And the catalyst for that was essentially forcing it to happen because if it didn't, then Shigaraki would die because of star and stripes ability to do that. But also Star and ability has death note limitations, where if the name is in any way incorrect, the godlike powers it bestows upon you don't work on the target. So I understand all of that. But there is a way of communicating this type of information in which you kind of just get it and you go, oh, that's cool. Or, yeah, yeah. And then there's a way of communicating where you where your response is, okay, I kind of get it. And you don't want that latter one because Uh. anything that takes you out of the moment of a series and just kind of enjoying it for its own sake and just kind of digesting it the way it's meant to be consumed. It's very awkward to get over and breaks your flow. And uh, that is what happened in this chapter, unfortunately.
1: Uh, So, yeah, I mean, this is a weird chapter Um, For a lot of reasons I kind of already made mention of it like this is a fight that has like a weird dynamic to it because you're like on one hand if stars just kills shigaraki our story is over and done with which would be weird on the other hand if shigaraki steals stars quirk I really don't feel like he becomes a scarier threat even though her power is fucking ridiculous it doesn't do something that he already can't really do. So I don't I guess he could touch people or like manipulate. I guess he could just suction the air like she did, which is weird, because if that was going to be like the big reveal, then she shouldn't have done it right there because it kind of gives everything away. Um, Star herself actually became this somewhat interesting character when it's like, oh, my quirk has a limit. I can only assign two rules And I've arbitrarily decided one of them is always in use by me to transform myself from this normal looking girl into someone who looks basically like a Rule 63 All Might because I respect that person so much. And you could do something kind of interesting with that character of exploring, like, how far has she gotten in life? Basically operating her quirk with a very noticeable handicap to it. She's constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, never using herself at her best point. You know, even though she could do more, more or less. So, I she seems like she could be an interesting character. Uh, apparently, people point out she's from one of the movies as well. So, you know, I guess she's been cameoing at some place. Um, Presumably, I mean, there is
0: that scene with uh, All Might saving someone does actually appear in the first movie. Yeah, well, that's see, that's supposedly in...
1: the girl right there. Yeah like, in that shot, I mean, so that's cool. that Stars, yeah, so it's like, alright, I just, I, I don't know, like, maybe this fight should have been longer, maybe Stars should have been introduced to the story a lot earlier so we could have more time to actually, like, I, I, I guess we have to wait and see what the fallout from this is, but if, like, the next chapter is her losing her quirk, or fucking All Might, or Shigaraki just fucking exploding her, or something like that, like, it's, it just feels like this is a really weird way to do this situation. Yes. Agreed. Okay.
0: It's on luck unlock time.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're Russians now, so we're going to talk about number 83, The Lives You Wager Shall Be. So we start in Union Headquarters, and I'm going to let you know now, I don't remember any of these characters' names. Okay, One of them is like... Biko or something, it's like Nico, but not Nico, and I don't care, it's the person who looks a lot like Nico, uh, (laughs) they're basically like, hey, any and all attacks are being nullified, we can't do anything, Fuco has made contact with Spring, and everyone's like, wait, she's all alone, where's everybody else, and they're like, oh man, it's always negators risking their lives, and we see Spring who is uh, hunched over, hiding under a little blanket, being like, oh, you've come here alone? Should that be called courageous or simply foolish? And uh, Fugo's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm here to talk with you. And all the negator, or not negators, but all the people back at uh, Union are just like, wait, trying to talk with the UMA? That's crazy. That thing's already in its phase two form. Um, and Fugo just explains like, yeah, I've been watching you all this time because I kind of wanted to get to know you. And You know, I always saw you on top of the tower, and you were doing these things, and at first I thought you were doing it because you were amusing, like, drinking and dancing and everything, but then, like, night came, and I saw how sad you looked. You looked really lonely, and you never attacked people directly, so I thought maybe you had something you wanted to talk about, Uh, you know? Hmm. And she even notes, like, hey, look, I understand you're a quest-objective UMA. We're going to have to defeat you in some way, but before that, I'd like to have a little talk. And Spring just starts laughing, saying, "A human wishes to chat with me, me, a UMA." And he's just like, "Yeah, well, you're 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 dressed and you're carrying these things that are made by man, like parasols and and wooden sandals." So, and Spring basically tells his uh, their backstory of like, "Yeah, you know, back in the day, cherry trees they were considered sinister, and the falling petals were seen as a harbinger of demise, signs of ill omen." So they were reviled, and we see. Little baby spring UMA, which is just his face basically attached to a box. It's the the most adorable thing on the planet, and people are mean to it because they don't like cherry blossoms. And uh, basically, it's a very quick backstory of like, yeah, they beat me up because they saw cherry blossoms as demons and... I was the demon of the blossoms, essentially. So they would chase me while trying yeah, you know, wishing me dead. So it's for that reason that cherry cherry trees are the things I'm turning them all into. Those who approach me lacking means or measures are turned into cherry blossoms. And those that dared to claim the spring uh to claim that the spring blossoms carried bad luck, I've employed a game of chance and have bested them. So that's why he has a dice rolling gimmick to him. And he says, hence, should you two oppose me, my luck would prevail. And Vuko is there saying, I get it. That's why you hate humans. That's why you're doing these games a chance. But let me just say this. I fucking love cherry blossoms. should not say fucking, but she gets, she gets that point across. And she talks about how, like, yeah, back in the day, there were a lot of wars. And everyone was sensitive about death and the fleeting nature of life. So, yeah, cherry blossoms weren't, like, super popular then. But now people fucking love that shit. It's fucking new encounters and new journeys and, like, springtime of our youth shit all over. And then she goes through her backstory about, like, yeah, I negate the touch of anyone, I uh, the luck of anyone I touch, unluck. I eventually just stopped even trying to go to school because I kept hurting people. So I would stay in my room, and I would look out my window, and when spring would happen, I'd see those beautiful cherry blossoms and all these people in the springtime of their, lo- their youth. And i you know... I love Spring. I, it, it, it was the season of new encounters. And suddenly Spring grabs their head and is just like, oh, oh no, run away, run away, no, bet away. And then immediately Spring has transformed into a new form and is like, this is the gambling den of the mighty blossoms. The score shall be decided in a decisive three round match. The lives you wager shall be 100,000 total. And all the people back at Union are like, oh shit, that's a phase three. That's uh uh I didn't even know what that is. And they're like, wait, she say a hundred thousand lives? And Foucault tries to be like, My life alone won't do, we're like, absolutely not. You need more lives. So everyone at Union already is kind of smiling because they're like, Yep, she's gonna bet our lives, and we're all on board, we're all on her side. We definitely have a hundred thousand people here. So Foucault's just like, All right. I can do it. I'm going to beat you with my unluck. So everyone at Union Peas, I'm going to use their lives and their lives are transported into those coins as boxes basically land in front of Fuku, so that she can use them as the betting chips in this. And uh, as the chapter ends, Spring just says, that is the spirit. Now let's begin. Let round one commence. And uh, we see Billy and Andy on their way.
0: Yeah, it's a cool chapter. Uh, it's a nice thing to see just how far Fugo's come that she's staring down this really, really powerful being all on her own. And not only does she, is she confident that she can handle it, she's going to do it her own way. And when faced with immediate threat and being told, you have to put 100,000 other people's lives in line, she's so confident in herself that she asks her companions to go forward with that and just entrust their lives to her. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's 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 really cool. It's uh, it does, of course, bring to mind um, the part of uh, George's Bizarre Adventure, Starks, Crusaders, where, you know, wage, oh, yeah. you know, people's lives as poker ships and stuff. But the amount of buildup that this gets and the amount of weight and just development that it indicates for is really, really good stuff.
1: All right, I'm taking this stupid wig off. This fucking thing's itchy as shit. okay so as Uh. that happens there we go now i look cool (sighs) did you like the chapter by the way yeah it's pretty sweet good good stuff
0: kaiju number eight chapter 47 hey kafka just punched the hell out of kaiju number nine uh and Punch it so hard that the ant body under it was squished as it was punched into the ground. And everyone's like, oh my god, it's the the natural form of Kaiju number 8. And some of the uh, general guys who are watching are quite pleased by this. Uh, Kaiju number 9 is not dead yet, but it's been punched so hard that it can't regenerate properly. So it thinks to itself that it needs to reconvene with Beta and fuse together. So it signals to... One of the other kaiju number nines that they need to come and fuse together. Meanwhile, that kaiju number nine is dealing with Gen Narumi. And it's like, I don't think I can make it right now. <laughs> A little bit hold held up. Um, uh, so the one that Ka- that Kafka beat up is like, but I- I'm facing kaiju number eight right. now. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. I'm learning right now. Uh so people start to check in and radio in with Narumi and say, Hey, what are we supposed to do about Kaiju number eight? Uh, and he just says, I'll head out. And he readies his weapon in a battle pose while unleashing 98% combat power, which immediately everyone has to scramble to accommodate for, because that requires a really, really, really large, uh, restricted area. Uh, and uh, he just starts using the blade on it and starts cutting off legs of the ant body that this kaijin number nine is coming out of. And uh, it's burning the cuts as it goes. So it caused the regeneration to take more time. So he's like, all right, I've got to I've got to gain some distance so that I can shoot him. And some parts of the ant body start get blowing up, getting blown out by bullets because his sword thingy is also a gun. Hey, I called it. yeah. yeah. His box cutter has a gun in it. So. uh Sounds Narumi about right. bas- <clears throat> Narumi starts uh, shooting and slicing in varying waves. And so he basically, Kaiju number nine, can't uh, hope to get distance or fight at close range. Uh, but it then starts going along the walls of a building and dodging around that way and dodging around very nimbly and quickly uh, and when Narumi tries to slash through it, uh, it just gets dodged and Kaiju number nine just says, okay, I've learned. And, uh, it fires a blast at Narumi from point blank range. And then from all sorts of different angles from different roots that have come up through the ground as he kind of just sticks its body into the ground and just grows up turrets everywhere. Uh, which, uh. Everyone's like, oh, wow, Kaiju number nine is evolving over the course of battle. And as it engages with humans, it learns more. It's changing in response. It's like a virus. It has attributes unlike any Kaiju we've seen before. And it's a major threat for sure. And Rumi just says, well, that does sound scary. But I'll be okay. <laughs> and he pauses to thumbs up a drone that they're watching the battle on. And he says, I'm even more of a threat because I'm so cool. And then he slicks back his hair and he says, well, now that my suit's nice and warmed up, I'd say it's about time to hunt. And his eyes get clover patterns in them. I think they're clovers. Not really. They don't have a stem. But clover is the closest thing I can say. Like
1: Like a cross or a plus sign. Yeah, it's, you know. Kaiju number
0: nine starts to say, What is with your eyes? It's like they're kaiju eyes. And a hole has been blown in his chest. And uh, yeah, Narumi is suddenly faster and stronger. As Isao comments from the Battle Network site that RT-0001 is Gen Narumi's other customized weapon. Japan's oldest numbers weapon, crafted from the retina of number one. And we get this huge two page color spread at the end of the chapter. As we see from Narumi's point of view, he's basically Byakuganing it. He can see all of the different organs and stuff within Kaiju Number 9's body. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm actually curious. I cannot find it right now. Uh, I'm going to try searching it, but I'm curious if uh this was on oh, fuck what's the name of it when it's on manga plus monster number eight I think yeah there it is I'm curious if this is in the manga plus version because the manga plus version hasn't gotten the other um color spreads that the manga has done before oh. like the, they're like random ones at the end of it um that they haven't gotten and it did so they did get the color page in this one at least uh, and oh. it's awesome because it's a very cool color spread. It makes the eyes look a little bit more interesting. It's a very cool use of colors. Um, I, the series is working pretty hard to make me care about Gen. And I just don't <laughs> at this moment. But he's uh, the
0: coolest and strongest and best.
1: <laughs> I know. Uh, it There is like this weird sort of attitude of like, now eyes are important. And it retroactively, like, just these one set, but it also is like, oh, his eyes changed, and a character commented on it, it's something unique, and I'm like, I don't know, I'm still in this place, I'm like, are characters' eyes normally changing supposed to be a thing that people just haven't commented upon? Like, I don't know, now it annoys me that there is a character commented on someone's eyes changing. Now, I know, again, this one mechanically is different, but it's still one of those things that's, like, the weird stylistic choice. Right, where you wonder how
0: much of it is stylistic and how much of it is purposeful. It'd be like if suddenly in Boruto, a character started saying, well, he can't be moving that quickly because he doesn't have speed lines around him. So yeah, I don't have to worry about getting hit by this. Uh, We'll jump over from there to spy family mission. 54. Yor is still fighting with the swordsman assassin guy, um, whom I kind of thought she had like, just taken out at the end of the last chapter, but I guess not. He's still up. Uh, We then rejoin after establishing that fight is still going on. Anya and Lloyd, as Anya is really excited after the fireworks show. Uh, And then Lloyd brings up, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed them, but I'm sorry we weren't able to spot your, and Anya then remembers, oh, right, mama, I forgot all about her. I got to find her. Uh. Lloyd notices that some suspicious stuff is going on on the ship because he sees some of the secure, secret police discussing something. And from reading their lips, he determines there is a bomb in the bilge. Oh, no. Ah, so he starts uh, thinking about what he should do whether he should investigate whether he should get involved. Because, of course, if the bomb goes off, it could cause huge catastrophe. And he's like, OK, I need to get I need to uh, get Anya out of the way, though, before I can do anything about this. And of course, Anya can read his mind. And so she very helpfully says, I want to do some more stuff. I'll go into this conveniently nearby kid's playroom while you go do other stuff. And Lloyd's like, yes. All right, then. Uh, So he checks his daughter in. And (laughs) Anya immediately goes, wow, they have a ball pit. (laughs) Because... She knows what she's about. Hey, I get pretty excited about that ball pit too. Uh, but within minutes, seemingly no, within seconds, rather, because because the teacher or the you know attendant who who is looking at the kids turns to see to look at her and is like, "All right, Anya, where would you like to? Oh, where'd she go? So, <laughs> must be like a record for losing a kid for her.
1: Uh, With the ju- as bad as watching kids as she is, she should get a job in the Boruto world as a sensor ninja. So. <laughs> She could just turn around and be like, "Where'd that kid go?" Whoa. We're
0: gonna have like a Boruto reference in every chapter this week. Damn straight. Uh, the crew are trying to figure out what to do about about the bomb and the build when a mysterious, very large-chinned man in a uh, sailing uniform shows up. Hey, it's Lloyd in disguise, and he says that he used to be like on the bomb squad in the military, so he's got some experience. And so he looks into it and assures them not to worry. Uh, cause he can disarm it. Meanwhile, Anya is still running around trying to f- find ways to help out Yor. she's got to find her mama. Uh, and while she's running around, she hears the thoughts of one of the assassin guys. Uh, in fact, it's the coordinator guy who was listening in on all the conversations. Turns out he's the one who set the bomb basically to cover his escape as he's just going to get the fuck out of here after having collected his paycheck. Uh, and, uh, so he's like, I've made my money. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to blow this ship up and leave it sinking to the floor so I don't have to worry about any of this. Uh, but he is not anywhere near Anya, and uh, he gets more distant, so she stops uh, being able to hear him. So she keeps on looking for Yor, and she comes across one of Yor's needles, a.k.a. one of Mama's stabby things. And she hefts it out of the ground, and at that moment... Here's your thoughts as she's engaged in battle with the swordsman, uh, holding her own despite being unarmed very well, but is unable to finish him off uh, because she has a reach disadvantage. Also, the coordinator guy is firing gun his gun at her while fighting, so I'm sure that doesn't help. Uh, so Anya, great combat strategist that she is immediately decides that your needs to get her weapon immediately so she throws the needle while declaring oh lightning bolt, deliver my aid rising hope because she is a anime watching kid yes and the needle flies up through the air and tinks over the edge of the of the deck and lands on the same uh level where Yor is but you know just kind of it's just kind of there just over on the other side of the guardrail. Uh, so your Anya rather looks um, determinedly disappointed, I guess is is the phrase I would use to describe her face. Yes. But at that moment, some of the other assassins are just trying to skirt around the battle and just sneak around yours so that they can uh, kill Gretcher and uh, get out of there. Uh, and uh, as they make their way around the corner, One of them trips on on yours needle and the place that Anya put it, he falls and hits his head and his gun goes off when he hits the ground and hits the other one in the leg. And he falls into the ground and also his ass lands in yours needle. And so both of them are unconscious. And Anya says exactly as planned. Because. Yep. Good on her. Uh, yours attention is drawn by the fact that one of the guns went off and she sees the needle sticking out of the guy's butt. So she dashes over rather. She backflips over and grabs it. And she engages in a one strike kill dash thing with the swordsman. Uh, while the coordinator is like, well, I'll just shoot him. I'll just shoot them while they're clashing and I'll kill her. Oh no, I've been shot. Who would do such a thing? It turns out the director is still up. He shoots him from where he is crumpled on the ground. And Yor does the one slash kill thing with the, with the guy, and he falls over and she doesn't. And uh, Anya can overhear this happening, because is like, ha, oh, it's over. So tired. And Anya gets a big happy look on her face, thinking, Mama won, thanks to me.
1: I saved the day.
0: Oh, I mean, she did.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Can't deny that. Lloyd disarms the bomb all the crew who have gathered around it uh, celebrate and they're like, yeah, but Lloyd is thinking to himself and he doesn't look too happy. And we cut over to the listening spy guy as he says to himself, farewell to you, princess Lorelai, as you sink beneath the waves, serenade me with your screams as below another part of the ship. There's another bomb. This one was probably a diversion. Or he just said two because, you know, he's thorough like that. Yeah,
1: there was probably two bombs and it's just Lloyd being like, this is too easy or something like that. So
0: we are definitely approaching the end of this story arc at this
1: point, but we're not
0: quite there yet. There's still one member of this group of assassins left to be dealt with. And oh, no, there's a bomb.
1: Oh, no. Uh, this was a decent chapter. It was fun in the right ways. Um and the action was cool. I don't know, like, it's not the chapter I'm going to think the most about when this all comes about. I think there are probably funnier chapters and better action chapters, Um, but it was good, you know, and and did everything it needed to. It was nice we
0: got a little bit of involvement from Lloyd and Anya, not just in the setup, but also in the big action climax of this, considering how long this arc has been. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but... Yeah, it was it wasn't great, but it did have some funny moments. Yes.
1: All right, Nick, let's talk over about Chapter 164 of Eden Zero Downpour of the Black Heavens. Uh, We start, as we always do on the best chapters, in the space above Nero 66, where the big space battle is happening. And it looks like they're about to be laser beamed to death again by the giant snake thing, worm, whatever it is. Eraser can't use his power. They're done for. Except it's If-and-so guy and the other members of Oasis. They help, and I guess solve the problem. Uh, Rebecca gets Witch back to the ship, or something. Or no, I guess Laguna took her there. Uh, And he's like, yeah, she's hurt, but she'll be okay. Also, you need to fix this person. And he opens his bottle of water, and the princess is gone, which I don't know why it's very amusing to me to think there was just like a like a like a fucking sentient drip of water like sliding out of this thing and he was just like oh I'll god get, damn it get, get out the fuck away from this guy
0: <laughs> uh, we cut back I over I will say two heroes credit okay there's one thing i am actually curious how it will turn out it is actually what the hell happened to princess <laughs> because when you have the setup of she was turned to water and was in a thermos and she's not there anymore.
1: <laughs> like, now, are you, how, are you... Where the fuck did she go? <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, are you interested in how she got out or what she's doing? Because the answer to the first one is she just did. And that's... I guarantee there's not going to be more of an answer to it than that.
0: My point is, I, I feel like we're never going to have that answer. Like, I don't need to know that. But when you have the hook of she was literally inanimate water, and she escaped a thermos. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I can't wait to see what the hell she's been up to and yeah. why she had to escape.
1: She's got places to go. Uh, we cut back to the fight between Shiki and Shura. Shura got kicked in the face. He goes into his overdrive form. He does a big, big attack, but doesn't matter. Shiki just punches him, uh, and he's like, oh, you're all garbage. Everyone's garbage to me. Everyone sucks but me. Everyone uh, sucks me. Me. Yeah, we cut back over to the temple, and uh, Ziggy says something that I guess is supposed to be a reveal, but I don't understand why this is any <laughs> logic otherwise. He's like, mass decapitation is not enough to kill a mechanical life form. You got careless, Nero. He should have said, you're a fucking idiot. You thought ripping the head off a robot kills it? What are you, a fucking child? <laughs> like
0: Or alternately, the exchange could have played out with Nero going, but, but I took your head off! And Ziggy going, I don't care!
1: <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> should, honestly. And Nero's like, oh, I can't die, though. This is not my destiny. And Ziggy says, destiny? You mean these? And he's holding the dice. And Nero Nero's like, no, my dice! I cannot be affected by gravity! And then Ziggy crushes them, which I don't know how to tell you this. It's kind of gravity is destroying them at that point. Like, in that mind, I guess they're like, it's unaffected by gravity, but I guess you could just crunch them in your fucking hand. I guess they're really yeah. fucking light, which I'm like, well, isn't gravity part of the equation that fucking makes mass and shit like that or, or force? You know, shouldn't it be there to some extent?
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, Zinger refers to this as true gravity. The dice cannot resist true gravity. Yeah so this i imagine is like if he took like an empty can of soda and dropped it on the ground and then he took another can of soda and squeezed his hand and crushed it and i was like see see that's true gravity (laughs) because it crushed the can more (laughs) than regular gravity did
1: it's extra gravity uh Nero tries one last stitch effort to can rip off his head he again. No, hold on. His head hold on. Is... I, I,
0: so he reaches through the wormhole really obviously.
1: And then uh, what does it say? Nobody say anything. Nobody's like, he has a, half of his body is surrounded in this wormhole. And it's just him like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Now, I want to say,
0: Reading Boruto has taught me that if any kind of attack is meant to have impact, there are speed lines around it. And there aren't enough speed lines for me to feel like the movement of his hand, which appears to be a limp, grasping, uh, flail.
1: <laughs> and this
0: happen? he tore off his head the first time, he was just gonna like...
1: Yeah, well sh-. again, why are you going for the head a second time? You know it doesn't work. <laughs> Well, maybe this time, you know, maybe I'll get a better roll. That's what they always, do. he's still thinking of his dice. He's like, I might crit this time. Uh, and when I crit, you have to do anything. That's what the rules say. If I crit, doesn't matter if the guard is right next to me. It means he can't hear me. My stealth checked work. There's a 5% chance that you could do anything. That's how D&D works. And I have three dice. The one's D6. I crit on a six, by the way. Um, it's actually a coin with two heads uh, <laughs> and Both of them are tails uh, So uh, Oh shit, I guess I'm gonna die now Yeah, so Shiki, or not Shiki Ziggy just drains him with gravity And uh, we don't know this now But by the end of the chapter we find out Because the series doesn't have pacing uh, That he stole Narrow's powers uh, Shura and Shiki have their fight Shura has lost all pretense Of being cool and he just shouts a lot Like, well, I'm gonna be stronger than anybody and uh, Shiki's like, but do you have to hurt others? You'll never make it to the top if you're willing to step on people. And Shiki's like, we're not going to the top. My friends and I, we're going together.
0: And he starts. He says, we're going
1: forward. Yeah, we're going forward together. So he Which, starts. All right. He starts making a gravity spirit bomb. And yeah, he does it. Spirit bomb. <laughs> he does it thinking of all the lives that have been lost hold on is... okay now
0: there have been a lot of people who that shiki has witnessed the deaths of. admittedly mm-hmm. the uh entire village that he came from that that whole planet is gone now um he saw you know robot friends die he saw Shura pointlessly kill some of his own supposedly allies so there's a lot of different people that Shiki oh and uh you know he he, he was there when a uh, valkyrie valkyrie's corpse was yes. right there, so uh witnessed her her body obviously wasn't there at that the time for death but you know it's it's another death that has in some way had an effect on his life so uh anyway what are the deaths that we see
1: uh, uh so make the bomb? we see a collage we see eggbot who was uh blown up in front of his face in the great moment. okay we see- did witness that yeah okay we saw the robot that specifically jumped on top of him and and was like sorry but i'm being programmed to explode against my will
0: I wonder if dying is scary. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what if a robot could dream of Electric Sheen and he didn't have time to finish, he exploded beforehand. <laughs> uh, we see uh, Lazaro and uh, Romance Girl, who both were members of Oasis, who died in the space battle that Shiki has not been present for and does not know <laughs> of. We see Creed, who was shot by one of his own men <laughs> in a scene that did not involve Shura whatsoever. Nor was she. Nor was Shiki present for.
0: You think that as he's going through this, he's like <laughs> reciting them out loud, and sure it's like, wait, no, that one wasn't
1: my fault at all. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't involved in. Uh, who the fuck's Creed? <laughs> no, no, he's one of the. He's one of the secret sojos or hojos or whatever the fuck they call themselves. And then finally, Bob Lucy, um, another character Shiki does not know is dead. <laughs> That's and well, another person
0: does not know is alive for yeah, that matter.
1: A person on an entirely different planet, unrelated to the situation, really. Uh, so all those, all those lives—that's what it's all about. And then,
0: see, see all those people's lives are feathers, <laughs> and those feathers may not weigh much individually, but combined. <laughs> They create true gravity. God damn.
1: <laughs> and then Shiki combines all of this thoughts together for a big super attack, which is a big ball of gravity that he throws and wins the fight. I don't. There's not a more exciting way to say it. That's what he does. He makes a big ball of his element and throws it. It is the same thing as just fucking Natsu and fairy tale. If that was just fire, same fucking move. Um. And Shura is defeated. He's down for the count. He untransforms, which is the telltale way to say that someone's defeated. And then Ziggy FaceTimes in. He's like, good job. Now allow me to test Nero's power. And he wormholes in. He wormholes a hand in to the conveniently placed remote control of explosion. And he's like, "Boop!" Now you will die because all the bombs would explode.
0: (laughs) What if? What if, wait a minute. What if it turns out Nero really was just fucking with him the whole time and he didn't actually teleport the bombs over there? And then the bombs just explode around Sheik and he's like,
1: oh, wait. Oh, yeah, around Ziggy, like all the bombs were still there. He's like, oh, god damn it. Oh, I put wormhole away. I also like that you don't need to have seemingly any visual indication when you use wormhole. Like, you, you, these guys are on fucking different planets and he's just like, If I was the important remote to the bomb exploding device, I bet I'd be right here. Boop Beep boop
0: boop Oh wait, wait, nope.
1: Turn the fan on. Hang on. I bet one of these Are are you devastated by that? I would I just wanna I wanna go back to the six deaths that were shown as the traumatic cliffhanger at all of this and just note Shiggy saw two of six of these was at least present for them
0: (laughs) oh i i know that the point was like look at all this pointless death and you know what someone like shiki would not have determined that this was acceptable and that's what separates him from shura but we barely knew any of those people who died
1: i also didn't think bob lucci was dead because i'm like i don't know people come back well i guess he got a dice through the brain but like
0: (laughs) right all those people have died. What pointless loss just for the sake of getting stronger, but like literally the only one of those that feels like it should have had impact on Shiki is when all of the suicide robots were were like, I don't want to die and exploded on him. It's
1: super funny that Creed is there when Shura had no fucking, he got shot by his own man. There is nothing about Shura that is responsible for that dude's death. And
0: the whole point is that, you know, lives carry weight which thus becomes literal weight as in gravity power mm-hmm. but so many of these did not leave any impact at all whatsoever when they died because they were just like hey a character they're dead yeah so ugh. um that is that for the chapter i also had the thought of because ziggy says the line i want you to celebrate my birthday just before he sets the bombs off It kind of Feel like he should have like reached through the wormhole and just like forcibly put party hats on everyone. <laughs> <head. laughs>
1: right, I it. look, uh, there's already a moment too that was this, and that's when Slade comes back in Teen Titans, fucks up all the Teen Titans, fucking puts the sigils on Raven, pushes her off a building, and then goes, "Oh, and happy birthday, Raven!" <laughs> and it's the best moment of that fucking show. Um. Yeah, just like that moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Hunter's Guild, Red Hood, number fifteen, end of the line. I want to explain to you guys all something. I read this chapter on Sunday when it came out, and I wasn't really paying attention when I read it. I have not reread it since because I feel like this is the only way to ex- experience and explain this chapter is if I don't fully understand it because. Oh boy.
1: I really, for a moment, when you're like, I read this chapter on a Sunday, I was like, is he about to do like a Solomon Grundy poem <laughs> to this
0: manga that's mm. definitely ending? Read it on a Sunday, <laughs> ended on a Monday. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, so. Uh,
1: now, now right. there's a very clear way to read this first page, and that is to see everyone happy and successful, being like, oh, they did it. Then it cuts over to Cinderella, who says, Oh, looks like he passed. Great, that does it then. The Hunter's Guild is finished. And you can stop there and be like, I guess it is. (laughs)
0: Like, I guess the
1: series is done. (laughs) She is hanging out with the mayor
0: who's on a magic carpet. And then she says, all right, what were we going to do about Velo? But the old man just says, I'll do it. You nap for now, witch. And he summons a portal thingy out of some smoke and goes into it. And then Cinderella says, all right. What are we going to do next, Lycaon? And she turns and looks behind her, and there is no massive werewolf. And then she goes, wait, who's Lycaon? (laughs) Ah? So we cut over to the ship. Debonair Diamante is like, all right, yeah, you guys won. Grim returns to her child form because she's reached her time limit and uh she's like but i beat up all the ones what about the ones who passed out she's like "Eh, they're not cuffed in jail so they passed too we can retest them later if we need to yeah (laughs) (laughs) fair enough like so then she picks up grim and piggy forcefully piggybacks her over and uh says oh was were several getting knocked out and therefore passing part of your plan too, velo and he says Nah, it was just yeah i just got lucky i guess yeah so bippa dip uh, And Debonair says to Grimm, Hey, Vela's disruption plan worked really well. Which means everything went according to the scenario you wrote out, right? Okay, she whispers that. Uh, The guard who was guarding the jail cell greets Tilty, and everyone's like, oh, you two know each other. Yeah, because he's one of the guys who betrayed me, but he passed and I didn't because I guess he's just, you know, better than me. Yeah. Uh, Tilty kind of half apologizes for how things went, because this was a thing that we needed to be resolved. You know, this thing that wasn't established prior
1: to this. Remember, also, Remember the important character of the jailer, Nick?
0: <laughs> but first... Before we move on to the rest of the chapter, we've got to meet two very important characters. Hey, remember that catsuit girl who was bizarrely pr- prominent in the celebration picture? It turns out she wasn't a real test taker. She was actually a proctor who was posing as an exam taker. Also, so was a guy wearing stripes.
1: He has the biggest sweater ever, and I'm very happy for him.
0: I'm not sure if he's wearing pants or if that's just the sweater. It's just
1: a so. really big sweater. It's a fucking long, great sweater.
0: Uh, And um, we are introduced to Cursa and Tarpan. Yes. Anyway, Demonera takes Grim off with her to my room for a sec, because that fanfic idea is going to happen, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> so then... The ironworks reaches its final destination. The island recorded a no map. site, Citadel, Hunter Headquarters. There is a sort of Mobius strip thing out in front of it. Ooh. Uh, and then Cinderella is still hanging out by herself, but there is a letter up her sleeve, I guess, that she hasn't noticed before. And she reads it, and it says, I am Lycaon. This letter was protected. If you read this and know not who I am, and do not see an enormous werewolf by your side, then kill that man immediately and steal back his pages. His true goal is... And Cinderella goes, Gah! to the note, because we don't find out what the old man's goal is just yet, but she's really pissed off about it. Debonair is still carrying Grim around uh, with her down the halls of stuff. And she says... What's the word bug mean to you? And Grim says, insects. And then she says, tokamak, curry, hay fever. Do those words sound familiar? The cat has taken over the bed. Don't move him off. Why not? And Grim says, what the fuck are you fucking
1: talking (laughs) about? What the hell is happening? What is going on?
0: Are you having a stroke or am I? Like, what? (laughs) So... She forcefully puts Grimm on a couch or chair, it's hard to tell with Grim's size, in her quarters, and then picks up a phone that looks like it's on the Flintstones because the yes. handset looks like a banana shape. And then she says, It's Debonair, patch me into HQ, because Grim of the Hundred Cannons has had her memories manipulated, and I need a response team here. Stat. And the, she gets the response that we can't enact that protocol at this time. Orders have come down to quarantine the the Ironworks. Our top priority is to protect the book! We're enacting an anti-corrosion protocol instead. Strict level five. I'm hanging up now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goodbye.
0: Uh, but it was very important that we be introduced to this character. Detroitel. Goodbye, Detroitel. So... Then Demonera's like, what's happening? And then we cut over to Carpel and Tartan. I think that was their names. And they talk about, see, werewolves have lycanthropy, which is a type of disease. When enough of these things known as genetic factors build up in the body, the person with lycanthropy transforms into a werewolf. It's a disease. And if it's a disease, we can get a cure. Once a werewolf has eaten a human, they can't turn back. The guild is currently researching that in the quest to create an antidote, a sovereign remedy that'll prevent the transformation. So we'd love it if you could catch a werewolf alive or bring us a werewolf corpse to analyze. Why haven't... Hasn't anyone else done that? So, but then uh, we are like, what's going on? Are we doing interviews here or on the island or what? Uh, and then they get word that the Ironworks is under quarantine and Tartan and Carpigal are like, what? And then we cut over to Duttroidal who, uh, there's a person in a hood who is over a book and they've got a quill in their hand. And Duttrell says, what's happening? This wasn't a scenario written into the true book. And the hood person says, things will happen that weren't written. That's no surprise. But Grimm's situation is different. (sighs) Someone other than I is editing the outline. Oh no. You mean the two ripped pages? But who? Whoever does the writing doesn't matter to whoever does the reading. The true book's blank pages are the future. The words in it set the laws of nature and build the structure of this world. Thirteen years ago, someone ripped out two pages and disappeared, and now those pages are taking effect. The mayor's in front of Velo
1: now. (laughs) That really is the pacing of this chapter, too.
0: (laughs) Velo looks over at the mayor. Is like, mayor? And uh, Carvel's like... Oh, that's not Camp Hopeful, it's an intruder. He's gotta be some sort of enemy. But is like, no, he's the mayor, he's my family, and he saved my life. Oh my god, you're alive! Am I dreaming? Are you a ghost? I thought you were eaten by a whirl in the Mountain Hut. And the mayor says, I'm sorry I caused your grief, but that death was faked. It was a necessary deception. I had to do it to find to drag Grim the Red Hood, out of her role, and crown you the Hunter Velo as the main character in her stead. And Bella (laughs) says, I don't get what you're talking about. Then the mayor goes, Fuah, portal!
1: (laughs) It'd be great if the mayor had paused and be like, no, don't you get it? There was a woman who was the protagonist of the series, and I, with my ability to alter reality, changed it to make sure you, a young male character, was the protagonist instead. I did what I had to! (laughs)
0: But I made sure that they kept all of their nice curvy bits. Yeah. Because um those I wrote
1: were the important part. I wrote a couple of scenes where our car breaks down and she's in a bikini, so <laughs> those will be coming up any day now.
0: Oh, is it stuck in the mud? Yeah. yeah.
1: Stuffgirls my work. <laughs> See, bikinis dot com
0: so He drags Velo through the portal, which closes behind them, and the mayor says, It's been a long time, but how about I tell you a story? Long, long ago, dragons flew the sky, but the hunters exterminated every last one of them. That's a story that I wrote 500 years ago. It was called Burn the Witch. It really was.
1: (laughs) So, Nick... I don't think Hunter's Guild's hanging around too much longer.
0: <laughs> I've been saying that for like two or three months now. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely the shit, 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 wrap everything up chapter. There are plot lines that should not have been introduced for a year from now being brought up and raced through very, very quickly. And it is dizzying to see them snapped out this quickly
1: it's almost astonishing because it's it's like if you flip a page in this now I, i have it set up that it's two pages per you know screen essentially i get like both sides up at once every time you hit the left arrow it's a different scenario going on like there is every time like oh we're introduced to curse and what's his name oh we're back over here uh uh, fucking Cinderella is reading the letter and changing everything. Oh, now we find out that something's going on. Uh, uh, Grimm's manip- uh, memory been manipulated. Oh, actually, now there's a quarantine going on on there, and they have to protect the book. What's going on with the book? Next page. Oh, two books are, pages are missing. Things have changed. Boop, now the mayor's here. The mayor's going to show up and explain everything. You're like, fuck, man. Like...
0: <laughs> Did you ever, as a kid, get one of those uh, choose-your-own-adventure books where it says at the bottom of each page that you get to uh, now turn to page whatever, and uh, then on most of them it'll say if you decide to do this, go to this page. But if you decide to do this, go to this other page. Did you ever, while going through that, kind of not understand it, and so you kind of like just read through? Oh, you just flip
1: through page. pages. <laughs> And it would
0: jump you into cases where it's like, well, how the, what, 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 where, how, why
1: am I under the ocean? And then the next time you're like, the mall department store, when did I get here?
0: So it's like that. Uh, Just the very contrasting, rapidly paced through sequences that happen in this. Now, Nick, and uh,
1: importantly, were you manga tamed?
0: Was I manga-tained?
1: Yeah, manga-tained, entertained. Were you not sports-entertained? Were you not manga-entertained?
0: I mean, going through it was fun. Yeah. well, <laughs> reading it aloud, but I think in the moment that I was reading, I was just like, right. all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> all right, just nod your head
1: and go along with it. Yeah, pretty much. <sighs> all right, let's talk about Magu-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 63. From the ocean! Yes. With love. With love. Because the Bond movie Naputaku. is out. Naputaku! Naputaku! Yes.
0: Is, uh, is out by the beach, and he's thinking about when he first met his hermit crab minions, when he was trying to win that oyster collecting, uh, rather clam collecting uh, contest against Magu. And since that time, he says that he recently met up with Ruru and she talked about making sake soaked clams as a dish. So he wants to gather clams and says, like, all right, my minions, let's dig them up. And of course, his hermit crabs jump into action. And because he's just sat at the beach, so does the ruler of the sea, the massive shark that is under the domain of his uh, bark of madness. And the shark just goes, "Draw, oh, sir. And jumps out of the ocean and is flopping around the beach. all like, Hey, I'm here. But of course, <laughs> the is still terrified of the shark and runs away, leaving the ruler of the sea confused and hurt. Going. So he didn't call on me. Aww. the walks home, terrified. The hermit crabs are like, the Mr. Shark's a good guy though. Uh, but, uh, the shark just says, oh, sorry for disturbing you little crabs. And told the leader I'm sorry, too. I'm used to everyone being scared of me, even in the ocean. And then he goes and eats seal.
1: <laughs> just tears apart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just immediately goes and rips a seal off a boat. <laughs> oh,
0: everyone's scared of me. <laughs>
1: But why why do they fear to... me his mouth covered in blood <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the hermit crabs vow to the ruler of the ocean don't worry we'll figure something out and get you and the leader on good terms just you wait and they go off in order to help out so they try and make a plan they go to of course uh uh magu first to figure out how they can form good bonds and uh R- magu at first is just like i don't give a. <laughs> what the hell is going on between Naputaku and his stupid shark minion? <laughs> Baruer says, "Hey, hey, hey! You and the and, and everyone else got a ride on the shark's back back to safety when you were stranded on that island. You owe you owe them." And so was like, "Hmm, it is true. I must repay a debt." So he calls upon his experiences with BS to say that uh, you must prove to Naputuku, that the shark is loyal and strong. My minion BS has rushed to me in times of need. He put his own life in danger to overcome many perils. If the shark can save Naputuku from a crisis, then he too shall be recognized. And the hermit crabs are inspired by this, uh, but they have to figure out the perfect scenario. Uh, fortunately, Magu is reading some manga at this moment. And uh, so they come across a scene in a show series where, uh, you know, the dashing uh, love interest is protecting the other love interest from not the love interest bullies. Time passes. Nobutaku is going along the beach and is calling out to the hermit crabs trying to get their help. And oh, no, it's bad boy hermit crabs.
1: They're wearing pointy
0: sunglasses. So that you know that they're bad boys, they're the uh, they're the hermit crab hovel,
1: the Squirtle Squad. Yeah, I like yours. Exactly, it's a good one.
0: Uh, so they try and mug quote unquote Naputuku, but he's just confused by this, and he's like, "What? what you want you want some of my part time wages? But do you want some food? I can make some food for you guys." And they try to jump on him, and he's just like, "I mean." I can get you some food, guys. What's what, what's your problem? <laughs> and of course, the shark uh, tries to quote unquote save Naputiku by lunging out of the ocean and biting everything while going, later I'll save you. Uh, and Naputiku snatches up all of the hermit crabs who are quote mugging them. Ah! them, them.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> all gonna die! <laughs> we're gonna be murdered! The shark's gonna murder us and bathe that our blood!
0: What? No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Dolphin guts
1: come out. <laughs> <laughs> like a sea captain's corpse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Deputeku runs away. Magu and Ruru have also borne witness to this. Uh, and uh, basically they're just like, oh man, what a small minded asshole. <laughs> and that just kind of it. <laughs> Uh, so instead, the Hermu go to see Unaris for advice, and she decides that the shark needs a makeover, so she gives a makeover to the shark using a magical item, which tra- transforms the Lord of the Ocean into magical minion, Napu Shark! It's a magical girl shark now. uh mm-hmm. Yep! Look at all the bows! Uh... Uh, but also, this magical girl outfit has given the Napu shark wings. And so he, she, they go off to meet their esteemed leader, uh, who is just terrified that now the shark can fly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so the shark is now depressed and says, I don't blame the leader for being scared of me. I am a shark. And leader's a starfish. I'll just watch over him from the bay. And I do like that now that uh, the shark is seemingly permanently wearing a bow, that the hermit crabs are referring to them as Ms. Shark and not Mr. Shark. So very supportive fellow minions. That's nice. Fortunately, Rur is there to fix things. And she's wearing her getting it done crocs. So you know that she's going to get it done. Uh, And she says, are you okay with just never telling Naputakun how you feel? I don't understand a word, you're but I know that you love Naputakun and look, just look at me and Magu-chan. We're a human and an octopus. We get along. Things can work out and meet with him and talk it out. And then Magu tries to like just kind of caboose on this on this. Like, yeah, <laughs> like he came up with the inspirational speech.
1: He's very inspiring.
0: So Shark decides to give it one more try and an hour later. Magu just drags the Putsuku to the pier, so he has to hear the shark out. And Napu Shark says, don't be afraid of me, leader. I just want to talk to you out. Thank you for calling to me in the sea. You know, I never felt wanted before. I've always been alone in the ocean, so I want to thank you. And here, I found this at the bottom of the ocean. It's my beautiful treasure, so please accept my feelings. And it's a gorgeous, shining oyster. And Niputaku says, Wow! Don't mind if I do. And they use it to make sake-steamed clams immediately right there on the fucking pier.
1: And it's not his fault. Everyone acts like it's his fault. What an asshole for doing it. And he's like, But she handed me a clam! I wanted to fucking eat it!
0: (laughs) He called on all of his minions to find him clams so he could cook them. One of his minions gave him a clam. And he cooked it. Yeah. <laughs> he said he was going to do this. Um, Napu Shark basically goes, oh, my love interest has uh, uh, offended me without meaning to mode and slaps him across the face with her fin and then dashes off slash swims off into the ocean, calling him a big stupid head. And Napu Shark is very confused by this as everyone else looks upon him in horrible disappointment. And he starts to apologize for reasons he doesn't understand.
1: Mm. So half this chapter was really good. Uh, and, and I then, don't want to sure. say Unaris shows up and the chapter gets worse, but I am saying Unaris coincidentally appears in the chapter and the joke after that point becomes a lot less funny.
0: Um... I understand that the equating it to as if it's as if the shark has a crush on Niputuku who does not return. The shark's feelings is kind of, you know, the subtext of this from where it begins. Like it just kind of gets exaggerated further and further mm. until essentially we're in, you know, a romance series uh, with a comedic misunderstanding in a romantic comedy sense. But as a result of that, it does feel more generic because it starts going for that and i do understand but it's with a space slash eldritch starfish god and a shark yes but i have still seen that scenario played out a hundred times before
1: it's fine chapter but you know half a good chapter is still better than not a good chapter at all true dr stone z equals
0: 214 Stone World's Earth Defense Force. Oh no, the petrification beam went off despite the fact that nobody said anything into it. Oh no, Gen's turned to stone and Yo's just there and there and over there and everywhere. And the beam is still expanding. Uh, so everyone panics and starts running to the extra uh, outside parts of the ship to try and get away from the beam. Senku and Ryusui just go, I guess we should just like stop like right about here. Uh, maybe two meters further back we should be good and all the beam stops right in front of them because they're so cool and they say that yes the speed of the Petra beam is proportional to its range so
1: they calculated it would be there somehow well they established before that they're able to like measure it off by how fast it's going and stuff like that <clears throat> so I assume Senku measured it and Ryusei is just following along. I assume Ryusei didn't also do, like, the math in his head to figure out how fa- like, far it was going to go. I
0: figure that he, like, instinctively just kind of looked over at Senku to see how he was reacting. And then was just like, well, if you're standing right here, then I should be safe right here, too. Yeah. So. They look at the vault after reviving Gen and Yo, because death has no meaning in this series. <laughs> Um, and Senku is, uh, rather disturbed by the sight of the cracked case around the petri- petrification device. And they're like, okay, well, what the hell happened? Talking to Gen. Yo, yo, is me. it wasn't me. Uh, and Gen says, no, 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 no. Look, here is exactly what happened. There was this noise inside the safe. Glass cracked. There was a click. The flash of light. Uh, and so Senku says, all right, well, the clamor inside the safe must have just been the vacuum tube cracking. We can't be sure about that. And Gen just confirms everyone nobody spoke to the safe or the device to issue this command. It just seemingly went off on its own. So they think about different possibilities. Maybe it was activated remotely. Uh, Kohaku says maybe Wyman has restarted his attack from up on the moon. Sai suggests radio waves were used to activate it uh but reuse counters with yeah but why wouldn't you just use those to activate them from the fir- in the first place uh and also Dr. Chelsea points out yeah and also he didn't you know just have the entire thing go off around the earth like last time so uh so they're wondering what the hell is going to go on Kohaku says um we should go fight y man <laughs> Beat him up <laughs> let's punch him. Yeah. Uh, Chrome says, yeah, but if we, you know, really rush to conclusions, that means we're going to make a one-way rocket. He doesn't say this part out loud, so he's like, uh, but uh, how do we know where on the moon we would need to go in order to fight him? Because it's big and stuff. And Rusu says, yes, we've got to nail down his precise location. And essentially from there, we just kind of just resumed where things were prior to this thing going off, interrupting things, as in all right, let's just continue our plan in figuring out getting to the moon and dealing with Y-Man by inventing something. That's kind of it. But they are discussing it more in the sense of strategy than just technology uh, in this part of it. Yeah. So Senko says they don't have a lot of data to, to work with. Uh, he says that he would like to start to experiment with Medusa's device to reproduce the results, but also there's a lot of risk involved. So they decide to instead remove the battery from the device so that it can't go off now. Uh, Gen privately meets up with Yo and says, hey, you were bringing it to us from the US, and during that time, did you meddle with the Medusa? As in, did said set it off like on some sort of, you know, long-term timer? And he was like, no! And says, all right, well, Senku probably already knows that, but... It's possible someone scheduled this in advance. Dr. Chelsea's there. She's eavesdropping. Uh, And she says, oh, you know, like, so like someone said three months, 20 meters a long time ago, the perfect crime. And gets like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Don't don't go off like that. And then Senku shows up. I thought that this was in private because, you know, in the establishing shot of this scene, there's, you know, the entire deck and no one else is there but the two of them. But I guess that like they didn't, he was just like, Directly next to a crowded corridor, he started bringing all this up, I yeah, guess. He was, he was right nearby. So, uh, they decide that uh, just to be safe, they're going to keep the device monitored under total lockdown 24-7 in a place that nobody can access it. How will they do this? They set off on the Perseus D.D. Monkey, uh, which is um, another ship associated with the Perseus, and they yeah. sail to another part of Japan and uh, they have kuhaku freaking mine for for ore with selenium in it and they prep some other chemicals they put that together and then they can have electrical signals and thus they can actually have a tv screen pick up stuff from a camera live and so they set up a security camera with yo as the guard in front of this huge prison that they've got for the medusa's device and uh they say yeah with this we can like keep Uh, it's not perfect, but you know, we can keep an eye on this permanently basically now. Uh, and this is also another step towards, you know, mass media because they then ship this over to America and they're like, okay, we can use this, you know, to like set up like broadcasts and, and and for various different things, we, uh, and Francois set up a TV studio called dragon TV. Uh, we see, uh, Manami, the reporter lady, has, like, a microphone, so she's going to be a reporter lady again. And uh, then at the end of the chapter, Senku says, see, we didn't just make the TV camera for your amusement, Ryusui. And Gen says, oh, so it's for watching the Medusa? No, the real task is much more important. It's going to tell us why mans location because our best telescope doesn't show us enough from down here on Earth. But if we had an eye up in space beaming a live feed to us, then we could scan the moon's surface. So, we're going to launch a satellite in order to... <laughs> Stone World, will we survive? Launching satellites.
1: Look how far we've come. Yep. Oh. I... It really does just feel like nothing <laughs> like I just don't know what to feel when it comes to Dr. Stone recently like it was such a big chapter last time where it's like oh my God what happened again and yo and then this chapter's like they're fine Um, I don't know we're just gonna do some more stuff and it's just like I don't know I just feel like Dr. Stone is like I don't want to say lost the plot it's just fucking spinning its wheels doing stuff I don't care about right now. Like, we created the scenario of, like, hey, there's a suicide mission to the moon, and I kind of want them to just be talking about that right now. Everything else is just like, who cares?
0: Dr. Stone has two basic modes, one of which is let's just invent some stuff in this world where we don't have modern technology. And the other is there is an opposing force that we desperately need to race against in terms of getting our next big development ready so that we have something to fight them for when we encounter them. And generally speaking, the latter part has been pretty solid. There have been some cases like, you know, the first half of the stuff involving Zeno's forces that it didn't really work, but it turned out that was really more just a preamble for the big chase in South America that worked out much better in the long run. But the other half, I feel like it's just kind of getting less and less interesting because stuff is getting easier and easier for them to do. Yeah. We are jumping from... Computers to video games to TV to TV cameras to a fucking satellite and that's a lot of different modern stuff going on when before it was about we need to put everything we can possibly muster into creating a pretty rustic energy source that involves a giant wooden wheel and stuff like that because that's where our technology is at. And it's just kind of less interesting to just see the rapid fire development of this modern technology as a result of that.
1: Yeah, I mean I can understand the the, the notion of like, hey, they have much more of civilization now, so things logically would go a lot quicker. And you have Senku and Xeno, so like you have the science behind it. I just feel like there are probably cooler ways to apply some of that stuff too than like, oh no, so we might have a traitor and a miss, so we're going to develop security cameras, and launch satellites. Anyways, let's move on yeah, to... Yeah, came over from my here. Yeah. Let's move over to Mashal, Magic, and Muscles. Chapter 82, Mash, Burn, Dead, and Infancy. So, we open with Domina, who is doing Domina's favorite pastime of murdering people. Uh, and Renatus and tyrone show up i had to look up tyrone's name because he has only shown up in that big like two-page spread where they introduced the other divine visionaries before uh and that's why he has a dragon I that
0: shows admire up i hear your dedication to bothering to find that out.
1: <laughs> well it explains why a dragon shows up and starts hitting things because there was a dragon came uh and that's presumably what tyrone does is can turn into a dragon or transforms his dragon I guess he transforms his dragon because we see him separately of the dragon in a later panel. Mm-hmm. There's an action cutscene. Uh, uh, Renatus basically just like, ah, oh, this is a mad, a normal magic user. He would have died three times over, but he's not. This is real crazy. Um, but they're like, wow, look at that sheer magic power. Oh, and his power is increasing. Just who is this guy? And uh, it slices off Renatus' hand. Uh oh. He's the mortal one, though, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, and then. Uh, someone like a dragon tries to strike at him from behind none of this stuff matters none of this stuff matters we're not no. fucking domino starts dashing away and thinks to a flashback to 15 years ago when domino was a baby born in a magical no world uh with insane power that would destroy everything around him and another newborn baby mash five months old would dash around fixing everything with his carpentry skills <laughs> See, now,
0: I understand, at a fundamental level, justification of the entire premise of the series of of Magic and Muscles is that Mash had no magical skills, and so to give him something that would give him some survivability, his, his dad, the responsible parent, had him train his body instead. And so this is where MASH gets all of his insane power from, is that he's been training like an idiot his entire life. (laughs) That he could do this. And you know what? I have no problem with this
1: whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, the conceit of the series is kind of ruined here. But at the same time, it's a mildly amusing joke, so I'll take it. Uh, The midwife who watched it was just like, oh, wow, this child's going to grow up to be a great carpenter. (laughs) his carpentry is going to be admired by everybody uh but domina grew a deep hatred because he was like oh my dad likes me but my life is existing for him to serve him but why does this stupid child that lacks any magic getting the same treatment as me and his in his anger he would strike out with these energy lashes and little baby mash would just crawl around in zigzag patterns ...to dodge all the strikes. It's so, not
0: just Zigzag. He Tokyo Drifts around the attacks... ...while crawling as a baby.
1: Uh, and that only made Domina more angry... ...because then M.A.S.H. disappeared... ...and Domina was like... With, ...if you're ever still alive... if ...until you're dead... ...I'm never going to have our father's full acknowledgement. So Domina became warped around that ideal... And on the day he could rid himself of Mashburn, dead, that would be the the day he would finally be satisfied. Final page, we go to Grief Manor on the day of the final exam, and we see uh, oh god, I can't remember their stupid school's name at this point. Uh, The evil school there, and then uh, all the Easton kids, and Mash, Lord, or uh, Abyss Razor, Dot, and one of Lord Abel's puppets, are doing like the cavalry lift up one of the kids things with mash behind them and yes lance is just there saying why <laughs> and they don't give an answer to it no they don't uh Shark's it's not a cavalry battle that they're headed no. into <laughs> shark tooth guy says congrats on not right away like chickens despite knowing you're going to lose and then the- the rest of them say basically like abyss is like let me know before you stand up it's safer that way and dot's like yeah just give me the heads up when you want to move forward and that's the end of the chat like finn's like they're fucking idiots they're all idiots like i'd like how their easton has now been divided into two halves the idiots and the normal people and abyss razer apparently is one of the idiots <laughs>
0: someone had to be the third
1: one yeah (laughs) i guess
0: oh boy yeah it's a silly chapter um and we will get some more fighty fight times next time i guess
1: darn tootin
0: all right so last time on the elusive samurai as we enter into chapter 36 warrior woman 1334 uh All of Tokiyuki's efforts to evade Sadamune's uh, attempts to see through his lies and discover that he is a Hojo seemingly were in vain as Ichikawa, the super listening guy, showed up and they were going to use their super sensory powers to detect even the slightest twitch or affected heartbeat or whatever and act as a lie detector as they tried to determine if he was a Hojo. But then Ayako started dancing and playing instruments outside and it turns out that this has been a plan that has been in place the entire time. Yorishige set her up for this, uh, saying that they would try and delay Chikawa from arriving there uh, by, you know, just be, having Genba go and be Genba in his general vicinity, basically. Uh, but he says that you need to immediately leave your post because they will use their super bullshit listening to hear, listening in see powers and will... Try and detect any lines that he tells. So you must impede at least one of them. So she is, of course, playing very, very loudly on purpose. And we get this narration that says that the performance that she is doing, which is Dengaku, was essentially really popular music. It was like the club music of its day. Uh, and so people from all different stations of life got swept up into the rhythm of it. Um <laughs> Freaking Serizawa, the, the weird-mouthed guy who who said, I know who that kid is! He's a hojo! And, and he says, Why is everyone dancing with that girl? And s- oh, someone says, Well, she just started playing music and said, Well, Sadamuni's enjoying talking to that boy, so we should have a g- good time, too.
1: Good point. everyone. <laughs> we just
0: went with it, because, hey! You
1: see- good point. Everyone's having a good time. Let's go with it. Uh... Tokiyuki witnesses Ayako playing and,
0: and is like, Wow, she's she's really good at this, and, and she's so precise and elegant. Uh <laughs> Ichikawa just like leads out of the room and says, This conversation is important, shut up! <laughs> uh, but Ayako has a preparation for this too, which is, oh, come on, you've got an important conversation with a child. Yeah, come on. Look, we're gonna leave soon. And if we don't leave soon, like there are gonna be some troops from Sua who are you know, coming to the border and they're going to cause some trouble if we don't meet up with them. So Sadamune drags Toki back into the room. And Akko says to him, as she go as he goes back inside, young Lord, don't worry. I am with you. And when they go to try and, and spy him out, Tokuki has been affected by her music as he is. He knows like, okay, they're affected by her performance and I'm truly blessed My retainer has attributes that would charm the masses in a more peaceful time, like a sexy idol girl who dresses much older than a nine-year-old would. Anyway, moving on beyond that visual, Uh, both Ichikawa and uh, Tadamune cannot actually tell what Tokoyuki is thinking and lying about now because he's been affected by Ayako's performance. So they're like, "Ah, fine, get the fuck out of here. But I'll kill you if you keep on interfering in battles, Yo. Tokyuki says. Okay, bye. Uh, Ichikawa says. I mean, why don't we just kill him? But uh, Sanamune says. Ever since the dog hunt, there's been something about that boy. He openly showed his enjoyment of the dog hunt. When I chided him, he meekly corrected his posture, and afterward, I could do nothing to disturb him. In turbulent times, such a straightforward nature arouses suspicion. But it would be unrefined to overly press someone so apparently genuine. So he's uh, he he has his station and his and his ideals, and he and he sticks to them. And uh, like we said last chapter, it's nice to see that there's more to him than just a silly asshole villain. So Ayako and Tokiki start writing back. Uh, and Tokiuki praises Ayako is like, oh, how would you learn to do that? I just got totally wrapped up in your performance. And Ayako kind of blushes at this because he just so, you know, stoutly compliments her. Um, and she starts to say something else, but before she can, they're attacked as Serizawa attacks them from out of the bushes. And he's got a Naginata with him. And he's trying to strike down Tokiyuki. Ayako tackles him off his horse to safety. And Serizawa's like, you embarrassed me in front of everyone. Which, you know, not really. You embarrassed yourself. Yeah. Uh, So he goes to attack them. Ayako tosses Tokiyuki backwards to safety. But she can't draw her sword in time. And it's knocked out of her hand as she draws it. Uh, Serizawa goes after her. And uh, he's got a reach advantage because he's bigger than her and he's got a pole arm. Uh, and as he is attacking her, Ayako thinks, Kojiro is skilled with a sword, but I am no expert in any weapon. And as she does this, she kind of dashes around the horse to buy herself some time. And when Sarazawa comes around after her, she takes the drum off the horse and chucks it at his head and then gets a stick and beats him with it. To which Tokiyuki is shocked. And we get some narration that says that Ayako uses kicks, rocks the enemy's own weapons, musical instruments, and her own body. She uses anything she can. As Ayako hefts up Serizawa on her shoulders in a fireman's carry, and then literally does an F5 to her <laughs> and swings him off her shoulders and plows his head into the rocks below. Um, and, uh, we get further narration drawing comparisons between Ayako and Tomoe Gozen saying that there are all these different, you know, parallels and that Ijiro was a female lord and Totomi, Hangako Gozen was a rebel general and in, in HGO, And there are all these records of warrior women from all across this one area of Japan in central Honshu. And she is part of that tradition. And uh, then Ayaka's like, all right, I'm going to rip his head off. Now. <laughs> <laughs> just applies the dragon sleeper, starts to strain at Serizao's neck, and Tokiki stops her, saying, no, 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 no. We're, we're here as messengers. We're not here as warriors. You'll just make things worse if you kill him. So, you know, rip his head off some other time. And Ayaka's like, oh, okay. And uh, so they ride off together now on uh, one horse because, uh, you know, They kind of had to abandon one of them after during the fight. Um, And then Ayako uh, says what she was going to say before, which is when you came to Shinano, I knew that it was fate. You were this budding ruler. It was like giving me the chance to be like my hero to Gozen. And I was so grateful to you. And I rededicated myself to the arts of war and entertainment. And I will use it all for your protection. And then I'll bear you lots of children, which Tokiyuki is shocked by. Uh, as Ayako kind of is like, so waiting for you to court me, <laughs> basically. Um, Tokiyuki wonders if she even knows what the hell she just expressed, basically. Um, but he just concludes, well, everything she does is over the top, and at heart, she has a loyal and buoyant spirit. She will be a strong and beautiful warrior lie be a word board. and we close the chapter on a a cute visual where ayako just lifts up Tokyuki and carries him on her shoulder while they're riding the horse which is a little ridiculous yeah i like this (laughs) (laughs) uh
1: i liked parts of it uh there's a couple parts that i was like uh but i do like ayako uh f5ing a guy into a rock I will say this, though, as from like a more grand standpoint, I don't I mean, it looks like this story is kind of done like they've done the scenario and now they're headed back. And I will say this isn't as satisfying as the story Kojiro got, where it was like this big moment of like, oh, we're going to show him as this general and how he leads his forces like, oh, what a cool moment. I don't I wish Ayako had gotten a moment as cool as that.
0: Kotro's story was to the point that it based, he was essentially front and center for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, even over tokyuki whereas this is just kind of Tokuyuki just getting to know Ayako. And that's just kind of it. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely a bit of a weird contrast between the two. And I definitely see your point. Um, however, what we did learn about Ayako, I do really like, and, it's nice that it's not played entirely as a joke this time that she's a big strong girl and that's just kind of her thing. You know, it's nice to see these, you know, different facets of her and also just bringing more, uh, substance to what is now confirmed seemingly to be romantic interest in Tokiyuki as well. Yeah. So,
1: all right, let's wrap things up, Nick, by talking about Black Clover, page 309. Yes. Blink. Blink. So uh, we open with Xenon going, what is this? Two Grimoires? in the?" And then he gets <laughs> shot in the face. Like, oh, oh. And like his face is kind of ripped off. And, uh, we get a little narration that says, hey, the spade family, kingdom royal family, has unique magic that's been passed down from generation. His father, Lois, had sun magic. His mother, Ciel, had moon magic. And the one who inherited their blood, Yuno Grimberial, has star magic. And we see Yuno floating in the air with these very... Uh, they almost look like sea urchins, less than stars, at least not the way we colloquially kind of know as stars. Uh... And he's floating in the air, say "Uh, with not saying? A son of the royals. And uh, I wanted to call it Charmy. What the fuck's the name of the little fairy? Silph. Self. That's it. Self just says, I finally Charmy feel like. Love, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I finally feel like I've met the real you, you know? And you're just like, sure. Anyway, I got to kill him with star magic, but you need to power me up. So do it. So he transforms. And, uh, he basically thanks Finroll and Langris for getting him the chance to go do this. And they're like, all right, go find a recovery mage and get yourself healed. Uh, and i are like, oh, wow, what the fuck? Like, you have a four-leaf grimoire and a second grimoire? What the hell are you? And you know, just says, the vice captain of the Golden Dawn. And it's exactly uh, like that, he.
0: Yeah, you know, the longer he's in this form, the more he sounds like Sylvester Stallone.
1: Against the captain of the golden Duty. Let
0: me uh, cast
1: this mighty spell with this powerful incantation. We'll do it, storm magic quadruple scrotum, and uh, <laughs> blocks the big attack. <laughs> and he goes, storm magic conjunction. Star Magic Quatrellia Haster! And uh, just a lot of complicated names for laser beams. Basically, he's uh, teleporting between the stars themselves. And he says, I'll prove to you that the choices I made weren't wrong. I'll save everyone, save the kingdom, become the Wizard King. And Xenon just thinks, I want to crush you. And we get two pages of just giant like incomprehensible fighting just lasers and bones just everywhere as the two of them are thinking in this clash i'm the one who's right i'm the one who will win and we end with a big two-page spread of yuno and xenon meeting in the middle with a big sword clash
0: uh i do like a lot of the visuals of this chapter Mm -hmm. um i feel as though what we end the chapter on with the reflection of these two people could have had a bigger impact if we hadn't gotten most of Xenon's character fleshing out like two or three chapters ago. And it had been more of a thing where you see actual parallels between their characters leading them up to this point. Um, but really, we just kind of had the fact that they crossed paths before and Xenon killed a bunch of Yuno's guild, which does not really reflect the idea that at their core, they have this similar motivation driving them. Yeah,
1: I, I, I ultimately still like it. I do like how we get some cool fight scene stuff. Uh, I think you know, having star magic is actually kind of a cool thing. Like, it's a more cool form of magic i think that just like he has light magic or, or something to that extent so i appreciate it there i appreciate the combat of it um it's another one of those chapters that feel short but at the same time i'm like i considering the amount of work that had to go into drawing it all i hope tabata is taking care of themselves mm-hmm. uh and uh generally i'm okay with it you know i i've grown accustomed to you know i suppose <laughs> uh it's
0: uh i mean there's some cool looking stuff in it definitely so i feel like at the very like the very meanest thing i could say about it is well it's very striking to look at like you go you go from like one page to another they're like you know the way that's like the his parents are portrayed and then you immediately go over and you see the stars surrounding him the way that all the visuals and the stars work uh with you know indications of like uh, constellations and such and the stars aren't just you know like five points of light or you know featureless points of light they have all these spiking motes coming out of them it all does look really cool
1: yeah all right well that does it there's no one piece this week so let's nope. uh let's wrap this up mvps and character of the week yep
0: favorite chapter for me is going to go To uh, I just want to confirm this before I say it, it's gonna be undead unluck. Okay, uh, I really like the way that the conversation between Fuko and Spring goes and the direction it takes, with everyone just being like, Yeah, we believe in Fuko that she can do this, uh, and seeing how how far she has come. I know that that makes this a very big Fuko chapter, but I wanted to reserve character of the week for a different series, and I'm going to give that to Ayako. Uh, we did make note of some of the issues in the chapter, and they are unfortunately also to do with Ayako herself. But she fucking F5'd a dude. Like, I,
1: <laughs> I, I completely understand. On another week, if there wasn't a far better pick, I think. Um, And so with that, my, char- my chapter of the week is obviously Boruto, and my character of the week is obviously Code. Because he has the best character. The audience for some reason did not agree with me. Uh they picked Spy Family as their chapter of the week and Ayako as their character of the week.
0: We're going to have to uh have
1: that tallied up at the end of the year. I'll have you well, know. Well, this goes in the guest column because it was code here as a guest, that's so that's right. why I'm not here.
0: Does uh do, actually uh, does put code... it in both of
1: them. Put it in both of them. I'm just gonna take Chris's uh word form. Okay. So at, and, uh, at, so at the end of the year, we could look at this and be like,
0: oh, boy, was, so, why were
1: there two votes for Code as the coolest character of the week?
0: <laughs> yeah, because you just get two votes. I mean, no, you and Chris both get a vote. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Th- that will then do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Well, thank you, everyone, who joined us for the live recording of the show, which we do Wednesday evenings starting around usually 7.30 Eastern time here on twitch.tv slash You can also check out the recordings of the episodes. The audio version is at com, as well as on Spotify and on iTunes and generally anywhere podcasts can be listened to. The video version, of course, is uploaded to YouTube, youtube.com slash weeklymangarecap. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon, allowing us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We just recently recorded an "As Explained By" episode, uh, "As Explained yes. Via Manga" uh, yes. episode, where I talked about the Tales of Arcadia franchise to Chris and explained that DreamWorksy thing to him. Uh, and some of the manga examples I came up with were outside the box.
1: I, I still like. I still don't know the one you mentioned. <laughs> kurokuroku yeah. so uh <laughs>
0: see if i say it consistently enough you won't think that i've just made it
1: up. <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm <laughs> just, just sitting there i'm like the same way every time we bring it he's up he's so confident about it it gotta like it has to be a real thing
0: uh if you would like to listen to that you can support us on week on patreon.com weekly manga recap We'd also like to extend special thanks to Ninja X3 for maintaining the Google spreadsheet that uh, keeps track of all of the series that are recommended to us, the series that we've done, the votes for MVP and favorite series and, and everything like that. You can go on there and leave your own suggestions and leave your own votes if you would like to con- contribute to the show. And you can find that via the Discord server. We have a wonderful Discord server that has bi-weekly gaming nights, as well as discussions about the chapters that are featured on Weekly Manga Recap as they come out each week. And also there is a section to talk about the, recommendation, or the recommended series, as uh, people are kind of going along and reading that as we prepare for the upcoming discussion episode. And I'd also like to extend uh, our thanks to... Milo Jack Stilitz and Winsadel Cheddar for creating the opening sequence that can be viewed on our YouTube channel on the beginning of all the video versions of the podcast. And to Steve Mann, who does occasional title card work for us. You can check out his work on Twitter.com slash Steve as well as wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the Internet.
1: And that should do everything. Yeah, Stay tuned, guys, because next week we're going to close the Spookmaster General Return for a Scary Encore as we talk... The night behind the tri-cornered window, or whatever its stupid name is, I've <laughs> I've finally gotten through a couple of volumes of. Maybe there's there's a chance there's a small chance this time, this episode is called Skamoto presents the view behind the night or the night of the fucking whatever the fuck this stupid manga's name is. It's gonna be out of spite because we can't say it. <laughs> I think that name would also just be too long for the fucking YouTube fucking <laughs>
0: video. We just make it longer and longer and longer. Skimoto presents with. (laughs) (laughs) Produced by.
1: (laughs) Produced by Kurodo's bad opinion, bad suggestion of manga. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody.